0: Well, good evening. Good to see you guys here tonight. Nice uh, rainy evening on a Monday night in August. It's not one of those hot August nights. And uh, good to see some visitors here. Or actually, we have Kristen, who, you know, everybody knows Kristen, but Kristen has a sister that you probably don't know. So it's good to have you here. What's Kristen's That's the the, you might have remembered her way back. Can (laughs) you
1: remember when she was
2: little?
0: She's an adult now. (laughs) Well, we are in Romans 12, and uh, we are dealing with spiritual gifts and uh, Christ's body and diversity and unity, a lot of those things. After World War II, there were some uh, German students who volunteered to help uh, rebuild this cathedral in England that had been bombed by the uh, Germans. That was their own people, so they wanted to uh, do a good work there. And as the work progressed, they became really concerned about this statue of Jesus that everybody knew about this place, and that statue was there. and it, uh, you know, His arms were like outstretched, And beneath that, uh, in an inscription, it read, Come unto me. But they uh, were wondering how they're going to restore this because the hands, which had been destroyed in that bombing, uh, were no longer there. So they had to discuss it and talk about it, what we're going to do, how we're going to restore this. And they decided just to let the hands be missing, and they changed the inscription on it. And it said, Christ has no hands but ours, and we are his body. He is the head of the church, and we are the body. So there's a basic truth found there somewhere that we could probably find in Romans 12. Um, This chapter started out with us being commanded to present our bodies as living sacrifices, And our bodies means not only these physical bodies, but our minds, uh, our wills, uh, just every part of us. This is our worship. We present everything that we are to Him. Everything. And so, as we are giving our bodies to the Lord, then Paul then uses a figure here of the body to represent the church. Now, we're talking about physical bodies we already give them. Now we're talking about an illustration of the body of Christ. And uh, that's the figure to represent what the church is about. Paul illustrated the union and the very connection of the believer by the figure of the human body. And uh, what a connection we have there. God's sovereign, marvelous handiwork. We'll be talking about the body. Let's uh, pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for the time that we can just kind of gather around your word. And it's all about worshiping you together and realizing that you are always the focus of our attention, whether it is individual or it is with other people in the body of Christ. What a joy it is. And we know that your Holy Spirit is present and we desire to learn more at your feet. And uh, just let your Holy Spirit teach us through your Word. We give you all the glory. And thank you for your people coming out and uh, being able to fellowship with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And what we have uh, seen just before this section that starts in verse 4 is that um, before we even use our gifts, we are to realize and to know that we're not to think more highly of ourselves than um, really what we, what we think. We're not to think so highly of ourselves that uh, we, we forget about others. And that, as that proceeds in here, um, we have a natural tendency to think more highly of ourselves than others. And he says, before you really uh, start serving in the body, I want to tell you that you're not to be thinking that way. Think uh, soundly here. You've been given a measure of faith, a measure of uh, grace as far as the gifts are concerned, and you have a, a function to do in this body. Uh, this is a topic that I think uh, has probably been covered throughout the church. Uh, a lot of people always have an interest in gifts. What's my spiritual gift? What is their spiritual gift? And how do these work? And we should have an interest in that but we know always that before we even getting into serving, we worship God and and we see what He has done for us. And with that doctrine, now we can uh, then start applying it. In uh, verse 4, it says, "...for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another." Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So he gives us a little bit of a list there from 6 through 8. What he does... In verse 4 and 5, he shows, okay, there's, there's a mark here that God has put on his body and, and, and this great handiwork that he's done. Everybody is different and so different. We have different backgrounds. We have different uh, manners that uh, we have learned coming through different families and uh, a lot of uh, differences in every one of us compared to another. But yet we are one. We're so bonded together, we are one body, and that's what's stressed in this whole section. And yeah, football season coming up, and you start thinking of football, and you start thinking, uh, let's see, we have a book uh, about uh, Kurt Warner, the quarterback, huh? some reason, I don't get
2: think about football.
0: Huh? That's right. Well, <laughs> okay, let's let's talk about baseball then. Since we're in baseball, that doesn't work either. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I close <laughs> my illustration <laughs> well if if you have a if you have a you guys know about quarterbacks so you know everybody knows about the quarterback kurt warner you know he's a he's a quarterback we have a we have a book about him but um um if everybody wanted to be kurt warner see he gets all the Uh, the writing about him he's the one that is the star of the team you know he's a quarterback everybody knows about him and you've got some guy that blocks for him and you have no idea what that guy's name is there's four of them and these guys are three hundred and fifteen pounds and you know they have to be that big you know to try to protect the quarterback so he can do his job so they have to function so he can function so that the guys that go out and get open, so that they do their functioning. So they're working as this teamwork. You know, it's it's great teamwork. A lot, of, a lot of things happening in the body. You probably haven't thought about those things if you don't follow football. But if everybody was a quarterback or made like a quarterback, everybody wants to be a quarterback, you're the star, or a wide receiver. If that be the case, then how are you going to put a wide receiver up on the line or another quarterback and try to protect those guys that are defensive guys that want to kill the quarterback? So you're going to have to have everybody playing different positions and different sizes. Man, there would be no unity. There would be no effectiveness at all. That team would never win a game, and they probably would not play the second game. They would get so destroyed. But true unity happens when a player is willing to play what has been given to him as far as his body is concerned, his build, and what the coach has assigned him to do. And they go out and play that one position, and they play it with the best of their ability, whatever it is. Some of them are not known, have no names at all. If you play at the skilled positions, everybody knows who you are. If you're a wide receiver, it means you go out and make yourself a mouth, and you just say things, <laughs> and you get in trouble for them.
2: <laughs>
0: Those guys are... Wide receivers are very prideful. They, they get all the, the big bucks, yeah. But uh, so therefore, the um, quarterbacks are not quite as as talkative as things like that because they know they'll get slammed down by the uh, the, the defensive guys. If I lost you so far, move on, huh? Carolyn says move on. Okay, what am I talking about? We have been assigned a position in this body to do. Each one of us, we have the specific function, and it's different than anybody else. But every member is valuable. Every member is valuable. But we're not equal. And we're not we're not the same in, in the sense that even the smallest and the least, we know they're valuable. And what is the smallest and the least? Well, how do you even describe that? I right? don't even know that. But there is a superiority of value if you were to take like uh, the apostles. They had a bigger weight and a bigger function to play in their role than what we do, for instance. And so you have different um, ways that, that it is to be used, but... You know, one can be useful more than another, at least outwardly. Uh, but if you take that one little part away, now it's going to take the usefulness of what the other parts are about. So, But to set ourselves up as more superior than another person, we can never do because back up in verse 3, it says that we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think sober or with sound judgment. Uh if you take a body, a physical body, which would you rather lose? Your your eye or a little finger? Which is more valuable? Well, of course, the eye. You wouldn't want to lose the eye, right? So, I mean, who wants to make a choice? This little finger plays a huge role, but yet there's still, in a sense... Uh, sometimes more uh, value in, in in the way that that has to be done, but yet we are all very useful, and uh, that's that's what we want to make sure that that we get out of this. Paul is using the word body here instead of church, but that's what he's meaning. For as we have many members in one body, body the doctrine of the church, uh, the word. Uh, would be, let's say, ekklesia. Anybody want to venture what that means? What's ekklesia? Called out ones, right? Ek or you can even think of exit. It's related to that. Out, placea, is dealing with called. Called out. We have been called out from all of the people of the world to be in this body, we were actually called out or elected into a group of people, community of people that are in Christ. I think that's phenomenal. When you say church, that's really what you're saying. When we say body, we've been put into this body. We've been called out. We've been elected. We were selected out of all the people in the world to do that. And that. And when I say we, it's all the people who are uh, trusting in Christ. That are his. The church is those who belong to Christ. They're joined to him in the same sense in which we uh, looked at in Romans 5. We were in Adam when we were sinners. And then we were put into the second Adam or Christ. And now we are in Christ. Sins have been forgiven, been taken care of, and we're in that body. We're joined to to Him in in that manner. It's invisible, but it's real. Now you can say it's invisible. Well, when you when you look at the when you think about the whole body of Christ, you know we we see churches, we see church buildings, and we see we know that there are people that are Christians. But it um, it expands out in a way that uh, we can't imagine you know, the whole body of Christ. And so when we, we think about this body, we don't have to be stuck on the church edifice or the great marketing principles that they have, the slickness that churches are using today to get people to get in there. whatever way they can get them in there, they'll do it. And whatever uh, procedures uh, and fancies that they have that will really draw people, you know, there are, there are ways to do that. You can draw people in but uh, those people that come there, uh, and, and the gospel that's being presented may be so watered down that it, uh, even though they join the church, may not ever become Christians. Uh, I think our analogy just busted up while I go.
2: <laughs>
0: Sorry about the football thing, Carolyn. I don't get into football until after the baseball season's over, anyway. You know, <laughs> Cardinals are going to go all the way through October, and I'm using my gift of prophecy on no. <laughs> I just—it's called hopeful thinking, <laughs> right, Eldon, You you agree with me on this? They got they got a good chance. I'm excited about baseball right now. So everybody wants to be a pitcher. Everybody wants to be Chris Carpenter or Wayne Wright or Pinero or (laughs) sorry Chuck Colson says this church has to do with people and the spirit of God in their midst has to do with people the elect people and the spirit of God Um, John Stott says it's a community of people who owe their existence their solidarity and their corporate distinctiveness from other communities to one thing only the call of God is the call of God, that is what has united us. We owe our whole existence and how we're united together and uh, even our distinctiveness that we have, so diversity in the unity. Um, we are different from any other communities out there in all the world. There is nothing like the church, and it's because of the call of God. In any other great corporations or uh, composites where people come together in it, it's not that they're called by God to to do things. Uh, yeah, people can be called to, to to do certain things in a corporation or such and God uses you in that but as, uh, as this community of the church He's designed to be His body on earth. His body is here on earth and it's us. That's phenomenal. We get to play His hands, His feet, His eyes, the little cells, the cells that you don't see that are inside your body. Incredible. Um, When you think of this section here, one body, if you go over to the book of Ephesians, you can't help but notice in chapter 4 where he talks about spiritual gifts and unity. And in 4 through 6, he sets it up this way. He's been talking about keeping the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. then he says this, there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God, the Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Boy, that's a packed section and we could spend the rest of the night on that. We probably won't, but there's an order here and you can ask, why this order? And Boyce, Says this, I think it's a pretty good point. You're actually going from the effect to the cause. When you start in verse 4 and wind up in verse 6, usually you have the cause and then the effect. But in this sense, you have the effect. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in the hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, then he gets to God. Uh, Ephesians and Romans. Um, kind of parallel each other in the sense that in the first, let's say, 11 chapters of Romans, you have a lot of doctrine, right? And then you get into 12 and on throughout, you get a lot of application. In Ephesians, the first three chapters basically are about doctrine. And then you get into chapter 4, and what is it about? It's about application, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which which you were called. And then he goes on to say, hey, live this out. But guess what he uh, goes right to? He goes to being, uh, keeping the unity of the Spirit. And Romans 12 is saying that, right? And don't be thinking too highly of yourselves, basically. And then he gets into the gift section. uh, But this 4 through 6 He makes it uh, very clear how we um, got put there and why this order, I think. Um, uh, He he, he talks about us being humble and gentle and then the unity of the church. And then we can say, okay, how did we get to be a part of this church? What agent was it that put us in there? Well, in the first one, in verse 4, he mentions... Spirit. You see the Spirit. You also see... You see body. You see Spirit. And you see hope. It's kind of interesting. Uh, And these all unite together. They come as one. But if you kind of take these verses apart, it's kind of interesting what you see first. We got to be part of the church by the Holy Spirit. He joined us into Christ. That's what the Spirit of God does. He made us part of one body. And because of that, He gives us one hope. And, of course, the body, it's organic, right? It's, it's, not a, uh, uh, it's an organism. It's not an organization. It's not a machine that has a lot of parts that work. But it's living parts in this body. And so we're alive, and and we support each other, and we depend on each other. That's why it's very important for the local church, which is the visible body. That's what, what we see. But there's a whole body across the whole world that is, we don't necessarily see all that. God does. But when we see in a local church, whenever it's functioning right, there are people doing different things. They have different gifts and they're, they're doing whatever the function that uh, they, they do. Those parts are alive. So they support each other. We depend upon each other. It's very valuable. The local church is, I think, much more important than we can ever even imagine. That's why we're called to get together. And uh, what do we talk about when we get together? Well, we never have lack of things to talk about, do we? We'll have more than enough to talk about the Word of God. That's what we have in our um, culmination and bringing us together. Uh, We came from different roads, different lifestyles, whatever. Um, One Spirit, even though we came from different roads, different backgrounds, we really were saved the same way. It was the Holy Spirit who drew us in to the body, brought us in. A lot of people have different testimonies and experientially where they came from. And that's, that's talking about a different background. But we were all sinners. We were united in that. And when we're placed in the body of Christ, we are now uh, ones who have been justified and no longer have sinned. We have been forgiven. The Holy Spirit did that we were saved the same way in that sense because um, it is him that does the work our um, we were awakened to our need the exact same in, in some manner or form we had to see our need for forgiveness. we were sinners we had to, we, our need was there and we were brought alive we were regenerated. who did that? Holy Spirit that's how powerful that he is and and the the hope. We have a set of unifying beliefs. The Holy Spirit is the one who is uh, telling us, of course, through the Word of God, that we look forward to... We have hope today, and it's a hope that is grounded, and we're confident, and it's more than a hope, so it's for sure. We know this is going to happen. Um, Our hope each day is based on the fact that we know what Christ is going to do. He's going to come for us. We have something even better than this life. We're going to have a life in the very presence of God in a physical way that is almost unimaginable right now. I mean, in the sense of knowing Him and seeing Him face to face. And that is the blessed hope, isn't it? And so, the Holy Spirit plays a key role in that. In verse 5, You have another set here. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. You see the unity all the way through here? One, one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. If you were looking at the triune God, who would you say would be the one featured here? Well, the church is those who have Christ as Lord, who have believed on Him. There's your faith and are identified with him by baptism we're baptized into the person of Christ baptized into the uh Christ body we all have the same lord uh and and we're we're drawn together by him uh, our faith is we all believe the same doctrines as we are in in the person of Christ uh baptism uh this, you know, if you're talking about the the wet baptism, this has probably divided denominations more than any other doctrine in all the Bible. <laughs> and it is important, but it's a shame that it has divided the church as much as it has. And I know everybody has different uh, degrees of understanding on that, but the fact of the matter is, we know that there is, a, for one thing, there's a, the spiritual baptism when we're baptized into Christ that all happened the same way regardless of how we take it whoever has been placed in the body of Christ that way also is baptized publicly as a matter of obedience you're identified with all others already now you're showing it outwardly that you're identified with others of course uh, Christ being the very central focus of that The verse 6 is one God and father of all uh, the idea of the church was whose plan God's plan one God, one God. We, we have a Trinity. The Trinity has one church. You cannot divide God. All of this has been, you know, the, the, the triune God. You can't really divide Him up. You can't split the church either. The whole body of Christ. You cannot split it because you cannot split the Godhead. And His body is there. No matter what people think, no matter how the church acts and does. The fact of the matter is, it's a beautiful thing as far as God, what He is doing, and He's constructing a superstructure beyond anything that's ever imagined. This body, it's a tremendous thing. Sometimes it sure doesn't look good. It sure looks like it's really out of whack, but God knows exactly what He's doing with this church. It's a thing to praise Him for. We're a part of it. It's us. <laughs> what a thing. It is. It's a privilege. I, I'm thankful for you guys. We can come here and meet together on Monday night, for instance, and be in like-minded thinking, surrounding ourselves with uh, the Word of God. It's, a, it's an awesome thing. It's the church. We just don't come to just study a book, a, a novel, a fiction book, or one of the latest fads or whatever, you know. We get together, and we talk about the greatness of God. What about this diversity? Romans 12, he says, one body. But all the members do not have the same function. That's easy. We're one, but yet we're different. Function here, the word is praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S in the Greek, and it, it just means for something to be done, to be practiced. So he's saying we uh, are one body, but all the members do not have the same thing to do. It's talking about doing something. Um, Something that is ordinarily done. So we don't all do the same things. We know that. That makes sense, doesn't it? It's really easy. Let's take our most critical bodily functions that we have. Let's take our heart beating, our lungs breathing. Okay, They do that. We don't even think about it. They just do it. They do it because that's what they are to do. They do the job that's been given them to do. The moment that heart stops beating, <laughs> then we're in trouble, right? That heart just keeps doing it. The lungs keep doing it. It just keeps going on and on and on. They have a function to do second by second, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, and they just kept doing that. and We really haven't thought too much about it. And then all of a sudden, you have a little bit of trouble with your heart. I can think about Eldon back. How long has that been now? About four, three years, four years? About
2: three and a half.
0: Three and a half years. He had to go in and have um, uh, a little bit of uh, surgery done. And that, you know, we say a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> he wasn't worried about it at all. Matter of fact, <laughs> he was so settled in it, if the Lord decided to take him, that would be okay too. <laughs> but Janice said, no, 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 don't be... T- <laughs> not yet, Lord. So that's why he's still here. <laughs> but had that not been done, that heart might have stopped beating somewhere down the road. It was a pretty serious thing. Even though you didn't let on like it was, but I remember seeing you in the hospital and you were just, a, you know, like, no big deal. <laughs> but you just think about it, when you start having troubles with your lungs or your heart now all of a sudden it's a bigger deal than ever before though you see how important it is i don't go around thinking about my heart you know except, or, yeah all those major organs and you know how they just keep doing it all the time it's amazing how how our body functions, and we don't really, really think about it. If we did all the time, we'd be so consumed, we wouldn't get anything else done, I guess. But, you know, we don't have to worry about this cell, you know, in your legs, uh, all the cells, uh, what, the millions of them doing their thing. They, they just do it. Uh, but I think when we really start appreciating it is whenever we run into a little problem or we see somebody else that's had that problem, and, and I think, a bar boy, you've gone through a lot of health things. And you're still standing, still sitting. You can move. The Lord, Lord's great. But I imagine you appreciate a lot of things in your body that's still kind of functioning more than the rest of us if we've never had any problems. <laughs> Thank God every
1: day that I have a body still with more
0: health in it than sickness. So. Yeah. Now, you know, we can talk about us old people. And then we've got a young person over here it has got... Um, <laughs> a foot problem, right? And so, that, yeah, you had to go through And now I bet you you've probably thought about toes a little bit more than you ever thought before. It doesn't seem that important, right?
2: Mostly because everybody keeps bringing them up. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be okay if we wouldn't.
0: If I wouldn't say things like that,
2: right?
0: <laughs> but there's, there's a, a good illustration right there of, you know, you think of the heart, but you think of toes. And if that if those toes aren't functioning right, boy, it brings a lot of pain and it brings a lot of discomfort, and the body now is not able to do what it would normally n- need to be doing. She can still make some really good cookies. <laughs> <That was
2: her. laughs> the sister, right?
0: Yeah. Hey, you guys work in conjunction sometimes. Anyway, um, I think you could take even the feeblest disciple, and no matter how feeble or how weak or how young... That, let's say, a new disciple is—he has his place in that body, and that body needs that. It. I was going to have Zach. I have. Can you guys uh, hold on for about five seconds? I can <laughs> Anybody ever heard of uh, Dr. Paul Brand? He wrote a book called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Have you read that, Janice? Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? He <laughs> he deals with the body, the physical body. Of course, he compares it to the spiritual body. And he got into where he was dealing with cells, and he's he's really into cells, C E L L S, right? I'll read a few things here, if you if you don't mind. Hope I don't bore you here, but this is, this is really good, I think. Uh, he says he's struck by the variety, how many different kinds of cells they are. You'd think, oh, they're all the same. They all look the same. He says, chemically, my cells are almost alike, but visually and functionally, they're really as different as the animals in a zoo. So he takes red blood cells. They're disc resembling lifesaver candies. They voyage through my blood loaded with oxygen to feed the other cells. Pretty important cells, aren't they? Muscle cells. Well, they absorb so much of that nourishment, they're sleek and supple and they're full of coiled energy. Then you have cartilage cells. You thought, well, they're just cells in the bodies. So well they don't have to name them that, right? Well, they're all different. Cartilage cells with shiny black nuclei look like bunches of black-eyed peas glued tightly together for strength. Then there's fat cells. They seem lazy and leaden like bulging white plastic garbage bags jammed together.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Then you have bone cells.
0: And they're rigid, and they have a lot of strength. They're cut in cross-section, and the bones resemble tree rings overlapping strength with strength. So it's like, you know, it's just built up. And they offer impliability and sturdiness. Then you have skin cells, and they're real soft, and they rise and dip, and they give shape and beauty to our bodies. They curve and jut at unpredictable angles so that every person's fingerprint, not to mention his or her face, is unique. Then he says the king of all cells, though, is the nerve cell. And that must be his specialty. He says, I've devoted much of my life to studying the nerve cell. It has a wisdom and complexity. It's spider-like, it branches out and unites the body with a computer network of dazzling sophistication. Its axons, wires, carrying distant messages to and from the human brain can reach a yard in length. So these cells are communicating to each other in our body. If you don't eat right then the break up of the communication starts happening and then you start having diseases autoimmune diseases and a lot of those things it's kind of interesting to see what happens if you don't have communication amongst the cells it starts breaking down and they can't talk to each other they're not going to get it what you need and that that's why they uh starve for certain kinds of vegetables and <laughs> a lot of different things you may not like to have but uh I just threw that one in. Brand didn't say that, but... Anyway, he says, "...these are invisible parts, and they cooperate to lavish me with the phenomenon of life." God did all this. "...Christ's body comprises an unlikely assortment of humans. <laughs> unlikely is precisely the right word, for we are decidedly unlike one another. Who in here is like another person?" And even with the background that you have... How many people in here have the same kind of background you have? And the one we follow, we're even different from him, but we're being conformed to him. From whose design come these comical human shapes which so faintly reflect the ideals of the body as a whole? The body of Christ, like our own bodies, is composed of individual unlike cells that are knit together to form one body. He is the whole thing, and the joy of the body increases as individual cells realize they can be diverse without becoming isolated outposts. Now, he gets into another part where he starts talking about DNA and all the intricate details at work in that. God, whenever he put this body together, did something that could... No human being can even understand all this. It's amazing our technology has been able to come up with this. Yeah, Barb.
1: There is a DVD by Louis Giglio. Uh I think it's the second one in his Passion Talk series where he goes into the cells and the DNA. And if anybody gets a chance to look at that, it's very inspiring. How great, how great is our God in the name of the DVD, I think. That's right. Commercial yep. process? Yeah. <laughs> Tremendous,
0: it really is. It's uh and what that's saying is that only God could put that together. And then you look at the body of Christ and it's even more intricate. He takes these living beings made up of all these cells and, and puts us in there as a cell And makes this body function in an incredible way, obeying the commands of the commander, being Christ. Uh, We still have trouble functioning in the perfect way, but He's he's bringing us there.
1: You can think about when it talks about He knows the numbers of the hair on our head and stuff like that. How deeply, how much, you know, like we talked about Phil and the body and stuff like that, but how much more important are we? To him, than even the hairs are upon our heads. It shows the details of how much he knows about it, if he cares about it, and all those details, even the cells in our bodies, he, he's aware
0: of. Right? Would you say that that would lend a lot of support to the sovereignty of God? Mm-hmm. If He made our bodies the way that He wanted to, then in the much more important eternal body, it'll last for eternity would He not want to, like ekklesia is, to call the ones in there, to choose it exactly the way that He wants to make it? That again speaks out for sovereignty of God, sovereign grace. These gifts that He gives to each one, it was it's by His sovereign grace that He gives one to one, another to another. It's all about the same sovereign God that we've seen in the first 11 chapters, isn't it? Now he's now we're seeing it put in into use. Yeah, this is how it's supposed to work. Sometimes the body's a little spastic. <laughs> when it doesn't obey the command of the head, what happens? You know, it gets out of joint. But um he knows what he's doing. Variety of cells. Well, how about number two there? How about exercising our different gifts? We we can make it simple, we can say there's basically uh about three categories of spiritual gifts and you know and you get into numbering and dividing things up and such you kind of run into trouble but just to help us be able to I like to categorize a lot to help us kind of get a handle on it if you go to other places in the Bible you have Romans 12 where you have the gifts we saw in Ephesians 4 where you have uh, a gifts um, we, these apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and on down the line Um 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, uh, 1 Peter 4, I think. You, you get a few more. You get lists there, but it's not all the gifts there are. There's no way that you could really number all the gifts and, and or the way that they combine with each other. Um, you know, you might have three or four different gifts and, and that really Stretch out. Some of you may not even know what it is. You just do what it is. And I think that's really the basic lesson we want to try to get out of this. Even if you don't even know what you do, but you just want to be obedient to the Lord and whatever that uh, you like to do and you enjoy, that's probably what gift it is. And it's probably a combination sometimes of, of, of several. Um, but if you look in 1 Corinthians 12, you get the sign gifts. And those gifts would, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you don't really see those gifts like what you saw in the early church. Did I say 1 Corinthians 12? Yeah, look in uh, 2 Corinthians 12.12 for starters here, and, and you'll see why I say sign. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. How do, you, how do you test to see if one's an apostle back in the days of the first century church? How would you know if somebody was an apostle? Well, they would have signs that you could tell if they were an apostle or not. They had signs and wonders and mighty deeds. The, kind of the things like what Jesus did, then the apostles had done in the early church, uh, the ones who were appointed especially for that ministry, and these particular ones when you think of the ones who are the the writing ones here, of course Paul was an apostle, one untimely born, but they would have uh, particular gifts that not an ordinary person would have um, there's really not a need for uh, A lot of those gifts today for the sense that we have the completed Word of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it gives quite a list here. And I think what you get there is uh, starting in verse 4, he talks about there's diversities of gifts. But the same spirit, one spirit, but we have these spiritual gifts, spirituals. That's probably the Greek word that you would want to pay attention to, and I think that's pneumatikos. Pneuma deals with spirit. And so the word there, diversities of gifts, spirituals, uh, have the same Holy Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but of the same Lord, and there are diversities of activities, but is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom, Through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge. Sounds like Pat Robertson there. Through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing each one individually as He wills. You know, without going into a whole lot on that, this book, uh, to uh, the letter to Corinthians, was written early in the church age. These things were being used, and I think, as for the most part, I would say, apostles were going to be having uh, particular gifts here. But there were certain things that backed up what the true word of God was backed up what an apostle was. He was going to have signs, test them out that way, test out the words that they speak. Um, but anyway, that was an important part in the early church. If you look in Romans, where we're at, it's it's quite a bit later after Corinth, and I think at that time he gives us a list, doesn't mention these kind of particular gifts here as far as your tongues, your word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. There's not revelation going on. Uh, not, it's like the Word of God is written here. If somebody is saying, well, I have a Word from God, well, that means that God has spoken to them in a way that was equal to the apostles. So therefore, we need to write that into Scripture. If we're adding on to Scripture, we have a problem. We're adding on to the canon that has been closed. So therefore, we don't have revelation from God anymore because we don't need it in, in in that sense that they had. We have the completed Word. It's here. All we need. Um, God used these gifts in a way to build up the church. In, in Romans, in Ephesians, we, again, we get those kind or different kind of gifts and, and offices that were used in the church. Um, but... Uh, not exactly these particular ones here. I think in First Peter it mentions that. If you look in Hebrews chapter two, verse three and four, it says, uh, "How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him?" What he's saying is talking about salvation, and it was. Spo- first spoken by who the lord or christ and then it was confirmed to us who heard him and i would tend to think that could be apostles and some who had uh, were around his teachings anyways that was confirmed to us how was it confirmed well, in verse 4 god also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the holy spirit according to his own will now what i'm want to say is that God can work anything that he wants at any time. He is absolutely sovereign, and if he wants to work a sign, he wants to work a miracle, he can do it today if he wants to. But a particular gift that a person has, like a, let's say one of the gifts that's in Romans, let's say the, the gift of giving or the gift of serving and that kind of thing, uh, they're not given those gifts of healing. Like what I think you would get on some of the TV ministries today, and uh, down in Florida they had another big revival down there at—I uh, forget the name of it—but this guy was claiming that he had gone to heaven and uh, he saw all these different things and. Uh, He had revelation from God, talked to Christ. You know, it's one thing after another. And he would tell you all the great miracles, all the people that were just streaming to them, and they were all getting healed down there. And Same thing happened in, in Brownsville, up in Toronto. All these revivals that have gone on where people have barked like dogs and said it came from God. And it's just terrible things a uh, terrible blight on the church it's, it's trickery it's deception it's fakery and they will uh, try to use these passages that we like read in First Corinthians 12 and like I say we have to be careful can God do things out of the ordinary well he certainly can but he's not going to do something that, that would contradict who he is He's not going to have confusion. He's not going to have people barking like dogs and then being stuck to the floor like glue for three days. Have you heard of some of those stories? Just unbelievable. But we we have gifts and it's not for ourselves, but to serve others. And there was a reason for those sign gifts. Um, there are other gifts that are given that are speaking gifts and are serving gifts. And that really for the most part would be what we'd have today they are gifts that uh, that differ they have diversity and they are gifts that bring unity and as as we serve in it uh, go back to your romans but all the members do not have the same function so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another individually but yet we're of 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 the same so your diversity the unity what's the source of all our spiritual enablements. Look in verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to what? The grace. Charis. Charis. Charismata. And that's how we get charismatics today. It's a shame. It's a Greek word that means gifted. But now you use that term and all of a sudden it's... uh, (laughs) It can be a word that's used wrong, or very confusingly, so we don't use that word. But it means gifted, charis, charismatic, or the spiritual uh, gifts that are given by God. Um, So in that sense, biblically, we all are charismatics. But if you say that today, what does it automatically think? Oh, you're one who speaks in tongues, right? But uh, we've been gifted, we've been graced. We have uh, gifts that, uh, from the very source of of God and His grace. His grace is sovereign. And God alone makes the choice of what He's going to give each one of us. Just like we didn't choose to get into the body, we also did not choose our gift. We did not choose to even be born. We did not choose this nation. We did not choose our parents. Think about all the things we did not choose. God has a lot to do with this thing, doesn't he? And definitely the body, which is so important, God makes a choice as to what gift we receive its favor it's a favor it's a blessing and and he gives uh gives it for us to be useful in in the body. Then he says, at the end of verse six, well, let's see, yeah, right at the end." Of that that phrase, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, according to the that gift, that grace that has been given, and then he says, "Let us use them." Now, what does that mean? You've been given a gift. Use it. That's a command. No option. You must use it. Uh, Paul said this to Timothy in Second Timothy one six. Fan the flame, Timothy. Get that fire started up. Stir up the gift. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. The laying on of my hands. Don't you remember that? He's telling uh, Timothy, stir up that get get it going. You know, it's, it's almost like the fire is going out here, Timothy. Stir that up. Use that gift that uh, has been given. And when, whenever we laid hands on you, we recognized what your gift was. I would say that gift is probably pastor-teacher. That's what Timothy was there. Did he not pastor at Ephesus? Was that Timothy at Ephesus? I think John preached there too. Paul preached there too. What a church that must have been. And then we find out in Revelation they lost their first love. Hmm. You know, there are violin collectors. And these violin collectors they go around, buy these expensive violins, and then, we're talking about rare, we're talking about very good, valuable violins. They're never played. They're just put up in storage and they get them out sometimes and let somebody look at them to admire them. And they close them back up and they put them back up in storage. Can you imagine the beautiful music you could be making with a beautiful violin and having somebody that knows how to play it and turns that thing into a blessing to people who listen to that particular instrument. Accomplished musicians can turn that into just magic, beauty. Same thing happens in the church. What a tragedy it's when Christians who are gifted and they're gifted especially by God and they keep their gifts stored rather than serving the Lord who gave them the gifts in the first place. Can you imagine that? It's People do that. And we could, you know, that's what we that's what we do though if we're not using the gift that's been given to us. the, the, The rest of the body is begging for it and we're holding it back. And we're missing that gift. And we're hurting. We need it. That's how sovereign God is. And it even goes to the little local body all the way out to the big body. Very important. It's a tragedy when that happens. John Murray said this, They have property in one another and therefore in one another's gifts and graces. Have you guys thought about this? What Kofi owns here? I have a little property in that.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's
0: that's part of mine, man. <laughs> and everybody else out here. The the gifts that you have, that's that's part of mine. Because we're in this one body. And even though, you know, it doesn't seem like we're that connected, we are. We're talking about this is really invisible. And you say, how can you say this? Well, Murray says this. Look at this. They have property in one another, and therefore in one another's gifts and graces. It would be correct to add that you as a Christian have a right to the gifts of the other members of the body. As a Christian, you have the right. Whoever has another gift out there, you have a right to their gift. I'm not saying you practice that same gift, but the gift they have to offer that you can take in so that you be edified and build up. That's what God is doing as we're growing. Why else are we here sitting here tonight? Because we're, we need to share with each other. Yeah, Tammy. I've
1: been wondering, just uh, last Bible study, how is talent, your natural talent, linked? Are they linked at all to the spiritual gifts?
0: Well, there are spiritual gifts, you know, the ones we see listed in Scripture. And then there are talents that have been given. I think usually you see those divided up. And I've been taught so many years, that, and you probably have been too, that those talents may not be necessarily those spiritual gifts. But I can't say those talents are not spiritual talents, though, either, if we use them for God's glory. So anything that we have, we're still gifted with. They may not match up with these lists, but I think they still tie in somehow, but there are there are probably these uh ones that, that we would call legitimate gifts, whether it be ministry, teaching, uh, exhortation and leading and all those things. Uh, like like a talent of think of a talent, like
1: like cooking or baking or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But it can be used for the glory of God.
0: And what's behind that? You're actually using that to serve others, so it might work into the serving. Mm-hmm. And still, yet, that ability is a gift if you're playing an instrument, for instance. Bob was talking about playing like, uh, you know, uh, like keys or something like that. No, or... that
2: gift.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always wanted to play that. But yeah, I think they probably kind of work in. I wouldn't necessarily split them too far apart. Somehow they're going to fit in. They're going to be used to edify the rest of the body in some manner or form. So it's part of that gift, in a sense, I guess. Because God gives talent. Even to, you know, some of the musicians that I detest what their message is and everything. But if I were to hear what they're playing, and being a musician myself as a guitar player, I can say, you know what, I know the guy's not a believer. And I know the music that they're playing and the message they're putting out forth, but I can still tell you where that talent came from. Whether they ever want to admit it or not, that came from God. God still put that talent; in they're just misusing it. But I know where it came from, and so I can still give glory to God, even the, despite the fact that, ooh, you know what they're doing out there, I don't agree with. But I can say, you know, that. So that, that's a talent there. It's you know that definitely would. Gifts are only for Christians anyway.
1: So one one thing that makes that just came to mind is okay, say somebody very successful in the business world comes into a to a church and tries to use his business in, in the wrong way. Oh. It's not God's way. And he thinks he's got a gift, but he's really you know what I'm saying? That's he's a, really not doing yeah. the right thing.
0: That's a real good point.
1: That may be totally well, yeah. people different. are Teachers yeah. in a secular mm-hmm. that doesn't automatically mean you're a teacher in the church.
0: They could be a very good teacher in public education. But
3: this guy mm-hmm. she's talking about ends up being elected treasurer yeah.
1: of the church, mm-hmm. yeah, because of because the talent he's got. They think he's spiritually, yes, um, right, and he may not be.
3: That's the immaturity of the church in not, not recognizing these things.
0: That that's very I good.
3: Like I got reading. another comment been bothering me you you listed all these things that's wrong and excesses that's happened around all over the country I agree with that 100% Uh, but I think the church you us have gone overboard the other direction in saying that these things don't happen Uh, say uh, in this group right now somebody had a gift that was given to God and they had a revelation of something God wanted to do they would not dare speak up they'd be condemned by the whole group that that's passed away see we're limiting God just as they are exceeding God and I think the church has limited God to what he can do and has stopped him from doing a lot of the things he wants to do in the body give you a personal example. I was in the Methodist church in St. Joe. They were uh, a very scriptural church open to the Holy Spirit and what was happening. Uh, It is very personal. I had, me myself, a revelation about somebody. And I went to them with the pastor's approval and told them what God had told me. And they said, yes, that's right. And we prayed for them, and this thing that was wrong with them was set right, and the church exploded in praise and worship and glory to God. Now, if that gift had been suppressed, that had never happened. So I think there's a uh, going to excess and working over into the flesh. There is saying some of these things are completely passed away, and they don't happen anymore, and we have suppressed God and stopped him from doing what he wants to do. I've got a friend in Africa. And they are a lot freer in their church than we are here. And he has reported things to us that have happened to him and his congregation that you could write down in the book of Acts as chapter whatever. It's just exactly what's happened there. And people have been set free. They've been healed. They've been raised from the dead. All sorts of things have happened to them. And I know it's real. I know it's real. I've known him for twenty five years. Now are
0: you saying there was actually resurrections I've from the, the
3: dead? That has been documented? There. Yes. I
0: yes. would like to see this.
3: Yes. Well, it's happened and it's not happened once. It's happened time and time and time again. And it doesn't happen here because we just said, Well now this is all passed away so it doesn't happen in the church today. It happens in the church today. We believe it God so that uh he can't act because of
0: our unbelief. I guess what I would probably wonder, like in you're talking like the first <coughs> Corinthians twelve like if let's say somebody would uh get kind of a let's say a discernment or being in tune with the Lord and knowing that He has spoken you know, in a sense that we can understand that, hey, there's something here that can be brought forth. Is that something that is a one-shot thing that can happen to different people, or is this an ongoing, all-the-time occasion where a particular person has that gift like a a person would have, like a gift of, let's say, teaching, which is a, a constant thing, or serving. A particular person has that. What? what I think there is God can work through with some of those signs and, and and even wonders or miracles through a person. It might be once, it might be twice. It may not be an ongoing thing. And I think as a gift, I, I, I can see what you're saying. I don't ever want to limit God that he can't do that. That's the reason I was trying to qualify that. But as a gift where somebody would go around healing people like from one... Um, revival to another revival. I would say, well, then go into the hospital and heal all those now, people. Now you're
3: getting over into
0: people. Right. Who are misusing
3: right. and and trying they're trying to make a name for themselves. I think in that way. But yeah. Just because they're misusing it doesn't mean that sometimes God's gift is real and it does touch people. Well, right. I
1: heard I heard you say that when you were when you were talking about this. I heard you say that yes, these things do happen, they're just not ongoing. It's not it's not like uh in the early church when some had a gift of healing. Well,
3: we don't know what, we don't know what happened in the early <clears> church. <throat> how long how did somebody that prayed and other people were healed maybe how long did that last? Like? We don't have exactly. any record of it. How long it exactly. that... lasted? It might have been once or twice, one meeting a
0: week, uh, six months. I would say Peter and John, for instance, we know that they were at the temple one time. Was it an Acts? Very early in the in the church, where you had a, a man that was uh, healed there. Uh, I think it was, what he couldn't walk, right? Jumped up or something like that. But anyway, you know, they did that that And it seems like there's a particular, you know, definitely one of these kind of signs. But there, was, but there, there was they were two p- instances
3: yeah. like that never happened again. I mean, right if, if you were a TV reporter and caught that like it is on TV today, why, you know, you can make a ministry that if you hear people on the, the side of the pool, well, so we're going to all meet in the pool tomorrow morning because everybody's going to be you. Mm-hmm. It's sitting there on the side of that side. We don't know how long that <coughs> lasted, how long it happened. Uh, how many cases there was or anything. We try to make a... That was a ministry that went... No, it was one-time recorded.
0: Yeah, God um, God works in, in a huge way. We never want to limit God with what He can do. We know that He's not going to do something that's against His Word. We know that. We know that He's not an author of confusion, but He can certainly uh, rock our world sometimes and say, well, God, you, you just you just can't do that. <laughs> And and he can. Um, but the the ordinary gifts that we talk about, and I say ordinary, they're still they're supernatural. Uh if we look in in, in Romans twelve, you know, these things are uh would be the ongoing things, the, the ones that would be, I guess you could say, constants. Whereas in your first Corinthians twelve it we don't even know the occasion or when and how often those happened. But it, it definitely happened back then. And it, it it can happen now. It's 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 definitely not a norm, though. Whereas these would be gifts of of normalcy uh, in Romans 12. Yeah.
1: i was going to say there could be also times when someone when God puts somebody on your heart that you may not know the circumstances, mm-hmm. but you felt like you're woken up and you feel like you should pray for that person. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not really. I wouldn't call that a gift. I would. That's the prompting.
0: Of the Holy Spirit, sure. Uh Yeah, it's like, where did that come from? It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens. Might help happen quite a bit, though, too. We, there's something that's not right here, or there's something I need to say here. I know what I know what I need to do before anything has anybody has brought any attention, and that's the kind of things I think you know. Eldon's saying there, we need to pay attention to those kind of things because God still works that way. He most often speaks out through the Word of God. But I I don't think that I... I can definitely say to me, I've never heard His voice. Could God do that? Well, I guess He could. It doesn't say that He cannot do that. But that's definitely not a normal uh, normal thing. Of course, what is? That's supernatural. <laughs> God is the master of supernatural. So, but yeah, we are to be sensitive to where the Lord might be leading us to talk to some. And if we don't talk to Him, well... Uh, maybe we miss out on a great opportunity, maybe the uh like that church just came alive all of a sudden, just like that, because there was you no know, the Lord was working in that and there was obedience to it and it's uh it's difficult, you know, where you draw these lines. You can't even draw the lines on these gifts sometimes, but it's just being sensitive to God's spirit and and desiring to be obedient. And uh, we definitely are, are to be uh, putting these to use. And that's why I'd say exercise them uh, accordingly. And, and I, as Piper said, and we'll close out with this, it's after Ada here. But he says, if you, have try, if you really are trying to figure out the definitions and the boundaries and the names and all the differences of your gift and you don't really know what it is, he says, go back to verse 1 where it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. he says, okay. You go back to verse 1. You hear the call that the fact, because of the mercy of God, you are dependent upon His mercy. And you're dependent upon His love. You know, the mercy kind of love. And then you realize how much Christ has done for you and what He did mercifully on the cross. Then you go to verse 3. And you take all the high thoughts about, about yourself and look away to the very glory of Christ and all the joy that is there. And then you begin to overflow with the mercy and the love and the joy that you just want to do for people whatever you possibly can. And whatever ways that you do it, if it seems joyful to you, and fruitful to you that's probably your gift and you may not be able to put a tag on it but that's just what you do whatever you call uh, whatever it is you do or however that mix is they come whether it be at mercy whether it be serving giving and teaching and exhorting and leading just thank God that hey this is what I enjoy doing and uh, it's because he's given it for me to do and it builds up other people That's what it is. So some people can define it and others can't. Don't be too hung up on what the name of that gift is. We just have a few listed here. Who knows how many there really are? And I don't think God really wanted to list all. how many thousands and thousands of gifts there probably are if you mingle together and multiply and... the fruit of the Spirit is... We all have that. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Operate those in while you're doing this gift. If you're doing something and you don't like it, go back to verse 1, then go back to verse 3, and if you don't like it, maybe it's something that you shouldn't be doing or maybe it's because you don't have the right attitude. John Owen said this, "...spiritual gifts are that without which the church cannot subsist in this world." Nor can believers be useful to one another and the rest of mankind to the glory of Christ as they ought to be. They are the powers of the world to come, those effectual operations of the power of Christ whereby His kingdom was erected and is preserved. So we'll get into uh, a few of those gifts. We haven't gotten into there yet, have we? So we'll work in. Thank you guys for coming out.